This is Difference Makers, and I'm your host, Adam Van Brimmer. On our latest episode, local attorney and civic activist Quentin Marlin discusses the importance of community involvement, serving his country in the National Guard with stints in Iraq and assisting in the wake of Hurricane Katrina, and a coming changing of the Guard in Savannah's judicial ranks. The Difference Makers podcast is brought to you by an organization making a major difference in our community, the Savannah Economic Development Authority. might even know their faces. But do you know why they are Difference Makers? This is Difference Makers, a podcast presented by the Savannah Economic Development Authority and dedicated to highlighting Savannah's key players and their contributions to our community. Difference Makers hail from several sectors, including commerce, government, education, arts and culture, and philanthropy. I'm Adam Van Bremer, editorial page editor of Savannah Morning News and SavannahNow.com. Thank you for listening. Quentin Marlin is our Difference Maker today. He's an up-and-comer in the local legal community a partner in one of the city's most respected law firms, Ellis, Painter, Rattery, and Adams. He's just as visible, if not more so, for his service on several community service boards and as the long-serving chairman of the Chatham County Zoning Board of Appeals. His profile is sure to build in the years to come, and his insights offer hints at what's to come in Savannah. Welcome to the latest episode of Difference Makers. With us today is Quentin Marlin, who is a local attorney, a partner at Ellis, Painter, Rattery, and Adams downtown. And he is very active in the legal community, but also very active in the in the community as a whole, serves on a lot of boards. So we're going to have a, a far-ranging conversation today. But we always start a little bit with some biographical information. And Quentin is a Savannian, I guess technically not born in Savannah, but you were you, you certainly qualify, whereas I never will, because you moved here as an infant. Can you kind of talk about growing up on the south side of Savannah? That's right. I was born in Albany, Georgia, uh, moved here as an infant um, in, in 1982, and I grew up on the south side of Savannah. Grew up uh, off Middle Ground Road, uh, over in the Leeds Gate, uh, Tibet area. Mm-hmm. Uh, so attended preschool there at a preschool that doesn't exist anymore, Castle Heights, Actually, still have a couple of friends from back then who were at Castle Heights wow. Preschool, and uh, went to Hess Elementary, and then Duran Middle School, and finally Jenkins High. Go Warriors! There you go. So, family, your stepfather was in the military here. He he was. He was at the 165th Air Wing. He was in the Guard. He's a physician here in town. Okay. Uh, he has office over on 67th Street off of Waters Avenue, and my. Mom worked for the state for 30 years uh, as a vocational rehabilitation counselor. What was a household like? Did you have many siblings? Well, I, I always like to tell people I'm uh, the classic American family of today, mm-hmm. so not normal at all. Uh, my, <laughs> my father died, my, my biological father died the year I was born in a car accident, and my mom went to Savannah State uh, prior to that. Uh, uh, for an undergraduate, and I think that was a big part of the move back here. She had a number of friends in Savannah, and we moved here. So I grew up with uh, as an only child with a single mother for most of my rearing, and uh, my mom married my stepdad uh, just before I started high school. Oh, okay. And did he have children? Did you have all of a sudden half-brothers, sisters? I, I did. So I have a half-brother from my biological 
father who's nine years older than I am. He mm-hmm. lives in Albany still, and I have a niece, and uh, just this year have a, have a grandniece uh, mm-hmm. who was just born. And I, my stepfather has two sons as well. They're both a little older than I am. We never lived together, so okay. uh, that's why I say my, my modern classical American family. It's, yeah. uh, it's very blended, uh, but it all works. Yeah, it sounds like something that could be a, a, t- a plot for a television uh, sitcom these days, right? It'd probably be more boring than it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> so growing up, what, what, were, what were your interests? Were you uh, – obviously you ended up being an attorney, so you probably were pretty strong academically. Were you athletic? Were you artistic? What, what were your pursuits? Well, if stick figures count, then I was artistic. But Me too. <laughs> uh, I, have, I have illegible handwriting. and So, no, I was in sports. Grew up playing basketball, soccer, football, baseball, uh, stickball, half rubber. Riding bikes around town back when you know you weren't limited to your your street or your block, we mm-hmm. we rode all around the South Side and hung out and have fun every day. Yeah. It was a great time to grow up. Eighties and eighties and nineties on the South Side is it quite a bit different than it is today? Was it? It was just it was still building out back then, right? It was still building out. There was our neighborhood. There was Windsor Forest, um, but really beyond that, there there wasn't a lot there so mm-hmm. you could really ride around we'd ride up to the abercorn cinema and the terra cinema that's which no longer exists and hang out and play arcade games and just have a great time just be kids huh? just be kids yeah and um, bicycle wars bicycle wars <laughs> squirt guns lots of, lots of squirt guns and eventually probably to uh all of our parents chagrin bb guns right you mentioned jenkins and, and go warriors jenkins Back then, what was what was the atmosphere like? Uh, Jenkins was a great school. Um, I I got a, received a great education there. Had lots of friends. Um, it's, it's a big school. Served most of the South Side then, right? Well, I guess Windsor Forest High School was there. Windsor Forest did, and we ended up moving out to Georgetown when I was in tenth grade. But I was in the magnet program at Jenkins, so I, I was never in Jenkins District. But that's where I attended school. Okay, you get done with high school, you're looking at colleges. Why well, stay home? I am. I was. I looked at Georgia. I was looking at Georgia State and Atlanta. For some reason, I don't know why, I decided I'd stay home for a year, maybe two, at Armstrong and hang out at the beach a little more. And that's what I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also really enjoyed it there. Um, so my when I graduated high school, my dad, my stepfather, uh, was encouraging me to join the Guard, the 165th Air Wing here. And I thought, no, I don't want to do that. I'll just go to school and bum around and have a good time. I didn't have a major. I did not know what I wanted to do. Ultimately, I finished that first year. I did okay, but like a lot of freshmen, I I faltered here and there because I was partying a little too much, having all the new freedom. Yeah, you're an adult, right? <laughs> That's right. I was adulting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I ended up joining the service uh, in March of 2001 mm-hmm. and went off the basic training, uh, went off to what's called technical school after basic training in the Air Force to learn more about my specialty. And I came back in August of 2001, re-enrolled in school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and about a month later, uh, we had the anniversary yesterday, yeah, uh, September 11th. Yep. I was getting ready to go to class, and that occurred. And I, I knew then I'd, I'd probably be getting deployed at some point, and sure enough, the next year I was. Life changed, and it, it really grew you up pretty quick to, uh, on about a five-day notice that's right. Being a tent in the desert. That's right. You, you mentioned we are taping this on September the 12th, so the day after the the 18th anniversary. And 
I don't know what your expectations going into the National Guard were, but that changed as as we talked about before we hit the record button. That changed life for everybody, but nobody more so than people that were that were in the service. What was what was the the experience overseas? I understand you were in Turkey, correct? I was. I was at a place called Inserlik Air Base, so it's in southeast Turkey. Uh, best way to describe it is a little bit just north of Syria, okay. um, a few hundred miles. Uh, it was great. I was 20 years old, so I was having the time of my life. We were working our butts off, but mm-hmm. you know, my mother was scared. But yeah. I was there with my friends. There were 40 of us from the 165th who deployed, and I met some lifelong friends, folks I hang out with today regularly. It was a great experience. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, I was faltering a little bit in school then. I came back and was a straight-A student. I wouldn't be where I was if I hadn't uh, had that experience. That refocused you? That, that matured you? It matured me, I would say. Um, it, yeah, it matured me. After you got done in Enduring Freedom and you came back and went to school a couple of years later, y- your unit also got called out for Hurricane Katrina. Can you kind of talk about that experience? That's right. So in Enduring Freedom, I deployed in 2002. Our unit started deploying right after 2001 and remains with constant deployments for Operation Enduring Freedom, which is still ongoing. Mm -hmm. Then three years later from 2002, I was in law school. My second year of law school began in 2005, and Hurricane Katrina occurred. And uh, immediately the governor called up the National Guard uh, here in Georgia, and our unit responded. Uh, I'll never forget, I was sitting in a legal writing class, an evening class, and my phone rang, and it was my base. So after the class, I walked back out, I called the base, and my commander, uh, Colonel Shepard, uh, answered the phone. I knew something was up because Colonel Shepard lived in Texas, mm-hmm. so why was she in Savannah? And she told me we were being deployed the following day. So to be at base in the morning, and you're leaving. You're back in Savannah the next morning from Macon. Well, luckily I didn't have to. So Colonel <laughs> Shepard looked out for me. Our base went to Mississippi and Louisiana, and then also Dobbins Air Force Base, which is in Marietta. Uh-huh. Um, she knew I was in law school and said, I'll at least save you some travel time. You can go to Marietta and set that base up and receive evacuees. Uh, so that's what I did. Mm. Um, my dad was able to take my go bag to the base, and someone brought it up for me. So I didn't have to do the backtracking trip to Savannah and back. But um, went up there for a few weeks, um, and it was it was a sight to see. Um, people were in dire straits. Right. They were wearing the clothes. They were in the storms. You could see the water lines on their clothes. They had everything they – all their possessions were with them. left, right. You know, it was interesting. We had a – I tell people this story, but it's true – there was the military set up, and right beyond us was Georgia State Patrol um, there for law enforcement purposes because obviously the military couldn't arrest folks. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had an amnesty box, and I'd go on the planes with this amnesty box, and if you had drugs, guns, anything, you could put it in this amnesty box, no questions asked. And uh, for the folks who did not use the amnesty box, they were searched when they got off the plane. And, off the plane, right. Uh, but it was interesting. Yeah, these commercial jetliners and people were armed because there was no electricity down there. There's no way to check. They're just getting them out, mm-hmm. and they'd fly from Louisiana to Georgia armed, and we'd take the guns off there. Mm. Interesting, scary, heartbreaking all at the same time. Huh? It, it really was. You come back. You, you you stay at Armstrong, like you said, 
earlier you were looking maybe a couple of years at Armstrong and then and then possibly going somewhere else I know that back at that time that was pretty common um, what made you say hey I, I really like it here and I'm going to stick around and, and finish here my professors I really had great professors there I didn't choose my major until following my sophomore year and ultimately I I met with my advisor and he said, you're already a political science major. You're on the way there. Those are the classes you've naturally been taking. So I kept doing it. Those are the classes I liked. And the small classes. I mean, I'd be in some classes, there'd be less than 10 people. And I really enjoyed having to be on every day. You're getting called on constantly in class. It made you be prepared, but they were great folks. Um, Dr. John Kearns, Dr. Bill Doherty, Dr. Skidmore Hess, just great guys. Had a sociology teacher Ned Renalucci was an amazing guy we went down to Trinidad together and we're still friends to this day he lives out on uh, Wilmington Island here mm-hmm. in Savannah still when you go into political science there's a couple of, of paths coming out of that whether it's public administration or the law what were your initial thoughts of where you would would pursue once you got past college well at the point I chose that major I was folding jeans at the Levi's outlet out on 204, <laughs> and I worked my way up to an assistant manager, and I remember being offered um, promotion, and they were going to move me to the Tanger outlets uh, in Locust Grove. Um, oh, wow. And I thought, I don't want to do that. I went up, I looked at it, I checked it out, and thought, I'm a Savannah guy. Mm-hmm. I'm not an Atlanta guy. I'm, I'm not leaving. So... I started thinking, what do I need to do? I had to get an internship, so I started interning for Congressman Jack Kingston and also knew I didn't need to keep folding jeans. And if I wanted to determine if I wanted to practice law, I needed to go figure out if I liked it or not. So I was sitting in a class one day, and my friends Eddie and Becky um, were, they were not my friends at the time, they were just classmates, they became good friends, were sitting behind me talking, and I overheard them their conversation eddie worked at a law firm here in town as a runner and becky worked at the u.s attorney office so i turned around and asked about what they were talking about and becky was mentioning an opening for a student clerk position at the u.s attorney office i went home i called they said the resumes were due the next day oh boy for the position so i went down there and i turned mine in uh, got an interview i remember sitting across the table from a number of folks um, who have become great friends of mine over the years and being interviewed it was very intimidating as a 20 year old to be interviewed by a panel and I, I got the job and I worked with fabulous attorneys there at the U.S. Attorney Office here for the Southern District of Georgia and it made me want to become an attorney and at the time I wanted to become a prosecutor right. so you went from retail management to attorney in a very or, or in terms of your aspirations in a very brief period of time that's, that's right I, I spent the next almost three years working 20 hours a week at the u.s attorney office and 20 hours a week for uh, congressman kingston uh, at least so well beyond my um, expected internship i just kept doing it because i enjoyed it and um, i learned a lot through through jack as well going on the road going to town halls just watching um, the congressman do what he actually does and it's a behind the scenes view that most people have no idea of right we had trip tollison in a couple of months ago who also when he was when he was younger did some some work on capitol hill with some representatives and he talked about that experience in terms of more 
from the lobbyist side, where I, I take it yours was more in terms of uh, staff side, was can you kind of talk about what it's like to, to work in, in politics at that level? It was really interesting. So being here at the local uh, office for the congressman, it was a lot of constituent services. Constituents called daily with needs. They came in with needs. And I watched the staff here um, just do such a fabulous job. Uh, Merlene Free, Trista Priest, and Bruce Baysmore were just amazing how much they cared for everyone and went the extra mile. Uh, folks would be stuck overseas, and Trista Priest would have her connections all over the government and get them home, and, and they always took care of folks. And even when the first district split, I'll never forget this, and uh, Congressman Barrow had part of Savannah, and Jack still had the rest. Uh, overwhelmingly, all of Savannah still called Jack. Statesboro still called Jack. Right. They never turned them away. They never said, go call Congressman Barrow. They mm-hmm. took care of the issues. Even though Jack's budget didn't include money to be taking care of those folks, they always did it. Right. Constituent services is another thing that will open your eyes quite a bit, too, right? Did, did you have any idea of the scope of, of what people needed? I did not, and uh, also the scope of complaints you would receive. (laughs) And you had to smile and take it and be polite. Same people that write me letters to the editor today, probably. (laughs) I'm sure there are some of the same folks. (laughs) We interrupt the Difference Makers podcast to remind you about our other regular podcasts, such as the At Savannah Opinion Commute hosted by yours truly with a new episode that posts every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. The commute is the easiest way to keep up with the latest news and happenings that Savannians are talking about. Search for The Commute with At Savannah Opinion on your favorite podcast app and hit subscribe. Episodes are also available through the savannahnow.com website at savannahnow.com slash podcast. You can also check out our other podcasts, such as Georgia Southern Extra with its focus on Georgia Southern football, the Do Savannah podcast with its emphasis on local arts and entertainment, and the daily See You in the Morning podcast that offers a roundup of the day's headlines. Law school. What, uh, so you, you finish, you, you've done your clerking, you've built an interest in being a prosecutor, you're looking at law school, you're, you eventually end up at Mercer. What was that experience like, and how did it steer you away from prosecuting into, into other parts of the law? I absolutely loved Mercer Law School. Can't say enough about it. It's a smaller class size, which is what I enjoyed at Armstrong, also enjoyed at Mercer. I knew, if I didn't know all of my classmates, I knew 95% of them. Mm -hmm. Um, I served on student government. I was elected unopposed after the first election for each year after that because you just get to know everyone. It's a a pretty tight-knit community there. Um, But... I actually joined the Prosecuting Association Council there in law school. I still thought I wanted to be a prosecutor. And I would say it's because that's what my eyes had seen. And and prosecutors do such a great job, and it's so fascinating, and watching Law & Order growing up. But after my first summer here, I clerked with Judge James Bass in the Superior Court, which is the general trial court here in Georgia. So I got to see not only criminal cases, I started seeing civil cases for the first time and i found them fascinating Uh, i was able to draft a uh, order on a summary judgment on a civil matter here that of course then went through judge bass's staff attorney and ultimately to judge bass but 
after their revisions, it, it would remain mostly the order I wrote. Well, it got appealed, and the Court of Appeals affirmed that decision, and that was pretty cool. I was in law school, and Judge Bass called and let me know that the order I drafted was affirmed, and that was a neat experience. Yeah. Um, so then my second summer, I came back to Savannah again. I, I flirted with the idea of going to D.C. Congressman Kingston actually had helped me out, and I had a an opportunity to go work at the House of Representatives uh, as a legal intern, and I ended up deciding, no, I'm a Savannah guy. I think I still want to do that. So I got a few offers here in town and went with two law firms, and including my firm, mm-hmm. and ultimately received a job offer from my law firm at the end of that summer, and I accepted it. Uh, so finished third year of law school, already having a job in, in hand, and which made third year easy and fun. I played a lot of golf. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> That's probably the last time you've played a lot of golf since then. That is. I don't play much now. I, <laughs> I try, but as my handicap will show you, I don't play enough. Right. right. But that's what got me interested on the civil side of, of, of law and the business side. You go into the civil and the business side, and and even then you don't you don't drill down on certain things. Reading your bio, it looks like you're you're involved in a lot of different things. Do you like that variety, and and does that kind of keep you sharp? I really do. I like not having to do the same thing every day, mm-hmm. and even throughout the day, most days I don't do the same thing, which I really enjoy. I mean, maybe my mind's just all over the place, but I, I need variety. So I enjoy having the civil litigation, which can be anything from a car wreck to a slip and fall to your multi-million dollar business dispute or land use dispute. And on the other hand, I do real estate closings. And it's awesome to sit down and close a house, especially your first-time home buyers. They're so happy and getting them through the process smoothly puts a smile on your face. It's not contentious like some of the other areas of practice I have. Yeah. Yeah, it's good to have a, a balance of, of things that give you joy and give you stress at different parts of the day. Let's transition to, to talking a little bit about some trends in the legal circles in town. And I know the, the hot topic, I guess, is the judge races. We've had a lot of retirements announced, according, including your one of your old mentors in Judge Bass. That's correct. And we're, we're about a year out from from seeing how those seats are going to go. What is that changing in the guard going to mean in the legal community in Savannah? It'll be interesting. I can't recall a time where we've had three vacancies at the exact same time here. The last time I remember we had appointments, we had kind of back-to-back appointments when Judge Sapp went on the state court and Judge Walmsley went on Superior Court. But even then, that wasn't at the exact same time. So having three elections is is interesting. I guess I would just say the if if they weren't all retiring at the end of their term, then the governor would be appointing, which means Meg Heap and I's phone would be blowing up. Right, <laughs> right. And that was the other. That was the other part is is you and you and the district attorney are part of the judge nominating commission for the state. What all does that in- entail? That's right. We were both very honored. Uh, governor Kemp appointed us both uh, to serve on the commission. It's a judicial nominating commission for the state of Georgia. So when vacancies occur in the court mid-term for the state court, superior court, court of appeals, and Georgia Supreme Court. Uh, Our commission receives applications, and we interview candidates, and ultimately we submit several nominations to the governor, and the governor and his team ultimately appoint a judge to fill open spots that open 
during the middle of terms. Mm-hmm. And you've been very busy just in the in the few months that you've been on the commission. We have been busy. There have been quite a number of nominations uh, that have been had, and Governor Kemp's made some fabulous appointments, and uh, happy to see those new judges take their seats. Mm-hmm. What should we non-lawyers look for in terms of these look at in terms of these judges races i'm not asking you to to endorse anyone but for joe schmell on the street what should we be looking at when we're trying to consider candidates i'll be honest and i think a lot of lawyers share this view at least a lot of my friends who i and colleagues i talk with i think it's very hard for non-lawyers to make a determination on these judge races Mm -hmm. Um, they especially when you have non-judges running Um, so you have a lawyer who's practiced in private practice other lawyers have dealt with them judges have dealt with them in the courtrooms but the public doesn't see what they do there's no record so you're really just going on what they tell you and they're all going to say the same thing i have a great judicial temperament i've practiced for x number of years i'm great elect me vote for me (laughs) and i wish there was a better way i really do like the judicial nominating commission process for the openings because you have a group of lawyers interviewing these lawyers uh, having an application packet from them that has a lot more breakdown uh, getting uh, recommendations from other lawyers who know them and getting phone calls from other lawyers who know them uh, to get a better feel for their actual judicial what their judicial temperament might be mm-hmm. what their background is just how good of a lawyer they are how smart they are right um, and I, I really don't I personally do not like the campaign aspect yeah, of the political judges. Side of it. Right. It's not a political position. Right. Because you're looking for somebody who is fair, somebody that will hold a pretty hard line in the courtroom with the attorneys, but at the same time it has a little bit of flexibility in terms of information that, that might help uh, decide the cases, right? Well, you know, we have pretty amazing judges here in Chatham County. The Eastern Judicial Circuit is Chatham County. And we've been very fortunate to have them. Um, I've really enjoyed practicing in front of them. And I'm just thinking, I I don't know of any of them that came to the bench in an open election. I I, want to say all, I know for a fact at least most, were all appointed through that process. And typically, they're not challenged once they're in there. Good people get the positions and remain there. I will say from the current field that I know is running, and, and others may still put their hats in the race, We have competent people running, and I'm happy with all the names I've seen. More with Clinton Marlin in a moment, but let's pause and recognize the Difference Makers presenting sponsor, the Savannah Economic Development Authority. The team at CETA is pushing to make Savannah a great place to work and live. CETA is committed to creating, growing, and attracting jobs and investment in the Savannah region. Whether a business looking to relocate to the Savannah area or an existing business ready to grow and expand, CETA is the centrifuge of a propeller, making the connections, helping propel the business to success. Learn more about the Savannah Economic Development Authority and what they do in the Savannah community by visiting CETA.org. Two areas that, that you address in your legal career are real estate and banking, and those are, those are two industries that have changed significantly certainly since the recession and here in town i guess real estate is really growing whereas banking at least in terms of of the players in town has really kind of entrenched as you're working through um cases and 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 just general legal work in those industries what really stands out 
recently and what should we maybe look for in the, in the next couple of years? The biggest change in banking is the loss of the community banks. Yeah. Um, we used to have so many more banks and it's consolidated. Yeah, we got what, two now, right? We got Carver and First Chatham are the only two. The, the, the local ones, yes. Um, and you have a couple other smaller banks from other places. Queensboro mm-hmm. uh, is more, a little more regional, is there out of uh, Lewisburg. But, but they, have a, they have a presence here as well. And there's a couple others that are smaller that are here. But out of this, the actual Savannah-based, uh, I think you're right. It's, uh, it's just an interesting that change. And the recession caused that. Federal, federal regulators and federal regulations have tightened and it's just caused a change it's not necessarily a bad thing it's just different, it's just different. and everyone has to adjust yeah. uh, on the real estate side at one point i think lending was tight uh, those that is loosened yeah. and people can go out there and purchase property at historically low interest rates that yeah. may go lower and there's a lot of money coming into town from out of town in that realm as well there is a lot canal district uh, is something that i think it's foremost on everybody's mind right now and that's a federal opportunity zone that's right uh, which means that people can reinvest their, their capital gains at, at tax and get a tax benefit out of that so when they start when the city starts looking at that that's going to be i don't know how much of that business you'll get but if you do you will be very very busy yeah i imagine there will be a lot of development in that area the legal side is is something that's what you do uh if you have a, I don't know, if hobby's probably not the right word, but community <laughs> involvement is almost a second job for you. Yeah. Uh, what uh, I could run down the, the list of the boards, but I know that let's just let's kind of start at the beginning. I know when you when you first came back after law school, you got appointed to a board or got encouraged to go on a board by Judge Friesman. Uh, Judge Abbott. So Judge Abbott. I, I was walking down the street uh, on Broughton Street coming for lunch and lisa colbert who was a staff attorney for judge abbott remembered me from when i clerked for judge bass and i knew judge abbott from that time as well and um, they both reached out and i think they were both serving at the time on uh, chatham savannah citizen advocacy and judge abbott reached out to me and asked if i would be interested in serving on a committee with that organization i didn't know what it was (laughs) so i ended up ultimately having a lunch with Tom Kohler, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to remember where we met. I, I want to say it was at Debbie's on State Street, but I'm not 100% sure on that. It was a long time ago. It's at least 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I joined that committee and got involved um, head first, just dove in and with the work there. It's, it's a great organization. And from there, I ultimately joined that board for six years and uh, was an advocate as well for mm-hmm. at one point. Yeah, I know you... you- mentioned you grew up in a in a family with with a couple of of parents that were very very active in the community and community engagement and it was almost expected that you would eventually start to go that way as well what when you first got going into it did, were you hooked yeah and i would say i wouldn't say it was expected mm-hmm. i would, when i we were talking before and i said i felt like i had no choice <laughs> it was more of an internal i, I internally, internally no felt yeah. driven to get involved never received any outside pressure though okay okay <laughs> Once you got involved, were you were you hooked, or, or you, you just found it very very fulfilling? It was just rewarding, you know. And and you know, one, it's the giving back, and two, you know, coming back to town, it was a way to meet other people. You know, I was I was meeting folks who weren't my lifelong friends and who weren't attorneys. I was meeting other 
business people in town and making those connections. So um, there's always, you know, the benefit, you get more out of giving. I mean, you always do. And um, so happy to do it. And then later I got involved with Second Harvest here at a food bank. Really enjoyed that. Um, I was I'm part of the United Way's Young Leader Society that they had at the time, and I think they still have. And they had a board internship program. So I agreed. I signed up. I was very eager to do it. I looked at these boards and thought, these are boards that I'm not going to get to join at 25 years old. Right. I would like to go do this board internship program. So I submitted my resume to several boards and received a couple offers, ultimately went with Second Harvest. And I went to three or four board meetings. Uh, toward the end of their year, really enjoyed it, and I was surprised when they invited me to actually come on board and and join them. And I did that the next year, and I I served there for nine years. I served as president for two years at Second Harvest, and still stay very involved. I, I'm one of the co-chairs for our golf tournament, and stay involved in a number of other organizations, not organizations, but. Uh, events they have throughout the year right and that led you to really a plethora I, I, as i look at this chamber of commerce CETA, but you also have bethesda um as you mentioned second harvest yeah bethesda's great i'm, I'm currently still serving on bethesda's board i'm as vice chair now but bethesda is just such an amazing organization uh, i'd like to thank cliff mccurry for introducing me to it i knew about it growing up but i did not know everything about it uh, growing up, I just knew it was there. It was close to Hess when I was there, and mm-hmm. um, but I've just been so impressed with the staff there, uh, with the president, the past president David Tribble, and the current president Mike Hughes, uh, the principal there Megan Kicklider. You know, we, we're really on a roll there. It is growing by leaps and bounds, and what it does for the boys, mm-hmm. the education they receive, the leadership skills they receive. Um, just to becoming good, solid young men. And you mentioned earlier, a lot of people, they hear Bethesda, they know it's been there a long time, they know there's an endowment, so it must be paid for. That's not the case. Right. right. I like to call that the Bethesda myth. Uh, there is an endowment. That means it pays out a certain percentage uh, annually, which is only a percentage of the budget. Uh, all the rest of the money has to be raised. There's some money from tuition, uh, it certainly doesn't cover what needs to be done there. Um, Bethesda's, like most nonprofits, has to raise money. Uh, so don't let the Bethesda myth prevent you from donating to Bethesda. Uh, the need is there. Yeah, and that's interesting because one thing about Bethesda with the location is is it, it's close to Skidaway Island, close to the landings. I know they get a lot of support from out there and it, mm-hmm. also Isle of Hope. And uh, it's it's, like you said, it's a very worthwhile endeavor and and yes i would encourage people to to look into giving there if they can but another part of service that you've done for several years now is to serve on the zoning board of appeals for the county i guess if if you have a political role at this point that's probably it although it's not political right you're making uh you're hearing and and making decisions and and hearing appeals on real estate matters what got you involved in that and what do you get out of it Right, yeah, it's certainly not political. It's it's just land use. Um, I'm trying to remember why I got involved in that. <laughs> Somebody probably asked you. That's the way it works. I volunteered. I, I'll tell you, I remember I, I, I wanted to get involved in some municipal boards, mm-hmm. 
and I applied to the city of Savannah's zoning board. Mayor Otis Johnson was the mayor at the time, and I was appointed to that board. Mm -hmm. And then the next day I got a letter uh, from the city clerk rescinding that appointment because I lived in the unincorporated county, Uh, not in the city. You were living (laughs) – if not a skid away, you were out in the county. I was was in – I was living uh, off Whitfield Avenue at the time, and Uh so I was in the county, so it got rescinded. So I dusted off my resume and cover letter and walked it over to the county zoning board of appeals. And I, I want to say I, I got an email about city boards, which is what prompted it. Right. Um, had I received an email about the county boards, I would have probably just done that. But So I was appointed in 2011, and I've been chair, I want to say, since 2014. And mm-hmm. it's a great board. All the board members there, you know, it's a volunteer board. Mm-hmm. We, we're there to give our time. We take the issues seriously. We're just a board of fellow citizens listening to appeals or request for variances to the Chatham County Zoning Ordinance from our other fellow citizens. And we take them seriously, and we try to make fair decisions and the correct decisions. Governmental boards are always, like you said, you got an email. Once or twice a year, I'll get something saying, hey, can you kind of put this out? We're looking for people. What would you tell people that that maybe have an an interest in that? Obviously, you you find it rewarding. You've been doing it for a long time. I'd say just go on the county or the city website and see which boards have vacancies. Because we got a ton of them. There are a ton of vacancies. <laughs> and, and a ton of boards. Uh, there's a ton of boards, and there's always vacancies. Um, and I think it's good to have some rotation there. I mean, you know, I think our board would rotate more if there was more interest. And I don't know. I don't think that would be a bad thing. I don't think it's a bad thing that so many of us have served a long time either, But because uh, we enjoy it, and you get to know the staff, you get to know the ordinances. So that's a good thing, but it's uh, you don't see as much turnover on some of these, I would call them smaller boards, whereas you take the MPC, more people are vying to get on that board. Yeah. So, And I don't think a lot of people realize the important work that, that is done there with, with zoning and planning is just about everything development-wise in this town is coming through those boards. Uh, ultimately, if it's within the city, it's going to be decided uh, at the council level, and I think the same at the the county commission to a certain extent but do you have that same sense that that maybe people don't realize uh what a difference they can make in terms of, of serving on this kind of board oh well, not only serving but showing up to the meetings if you see those public notice signs on a piece of property that you for some reason have concern about go read it yeah. and call down to the mpc the staff there is great they'll answer your questions they'll you may see the sign and it has a general description and you don't know what it means, but you care about that property. Call down. They'll answer your questions. They'll tell you what the plan is. It's public. You can ask and go see the plan. The Difference Makers podcast is a great way to learn about Savannah and those who make the city tick. But there's a catch, of course, the two-week wait between episodes. Keep up with all that's going on in our town on a more regular basis by signing up for our free newsletters. We deliver an opinion page newsletter daily, and our news team does likewise. And for the foodies and Georgia Southern fans among the audience, weekly newsletters on those topics are available as well. Visit savannahnow.com newsletters now to get those newsletters delivered straight to your email inbox. Again, that's savannahnow.com newsletters. segue into the back half of this and and talk about a couple of issues and i know that um you you are on the board of ceda now 
and you've seen inside what that group does and what economic development is like in Savannah, I think that we are probably at a, I don't want to call it a watershed because I think everything is considered a watershed, but we're at a point here where we're looking to expand our uh, our industry and our and our uh, economic base. Mm-hmm. What are you seeing? Don't give away any secrets, but what are you seeing in terms of economic development in Savannah and what the, the near future is going to hold? Well, I won't give away any secrets. I don't want Trip coming after me. <laughs> but, uh, I think Savannah's on the rise. I mean, CETA is such a great organization, um, and I'd say along with our Chamber of Commerce com- combined, I mean, they, they really set the stage for Savannah to be an approachable place for business and development and a place people want to be, and they're attacking the issues where they need to be. Um, I'm going to kind of start from the base, and I'll come up. Mm-hmm. So I'll start with Chamber and their endorsement of the early childhood program, which has been you have to have a great education system to attract development and business because when those CEOs come here, those, those search teams come here for business, they need to know where are their employees want to send their kids to school. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a gentleman named Paul Fisher who's been pushing this for years and years and years um, through the Savannah Early Childhood Foundation, uh, a board I served on at one point and ultimately left, um, only because as we talked about this one time. You said, you know, you, you get asked a lot to be on boards, and I, I joined that one. It's so laudable of, of an organization, and, but I was just stretched too thin. Mm-hmm. Uh, still think it's awesome, and he's been pushing this through Kiwanis clubs and Rotary clubs. And now to the chamber, and to see all these years later, the city, the school board, everyone's getting behind it, and that dream's coming true. I'm, I'm so happy for you know, what all his hard work has done. But you, you take that up to then CETA, who's going overseas and going to other places around the country and soliciting the businesses to come here. There's not only that, but they're setting the groundwork, property that CETA buys, and gets ready for business so they can come in and know they can hit the ground running and start building Um, it's just such a great team there they do a lot of hard work Um, as i told you before i say you know the board's one percent and the staff is 99 percent, if not more i mean they do such a great job and we're just there to support them our chairman kevin jackson does such a great job he's he's one of the biggest cheerleaders of savannah uh, out there i met kevin uh, through bethesda board actually and He's just such a great guy, a friend of Bethesda uh, to this day as well, uh, the biggest heart around. I'd be interested to get your thoughts on uh, and insights on leadership. We are in a, a campaign year uh, for city of Savannah and a lot of other municipal. Of course, the county government will be up next year. And you've seen on the business side and the CETA side what is being done and and what is not being done. Uh, if you could kind of write a, write a legal brief on on what we need to do here to really turn the corner in terms of, of good leadership and, and growth, what would it what would it entail? I think I'd start by saying I think we have really good leadership both on the county and city level. Mm-hmm. Um, Pat Monahan stepping up to serve as interim city manager. Uh, yeah, thanks, Pat, because you know, we really appreciate it. I mean, his insight and knowledge is great. He's been a consultant at CETA. Of course, he was with the county for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, just so knowledgeable and um, hopefully our next city manager will will come in with that type of pro business but understanding savannah attitude pat of course already understands it because he's been here but um, someone who's going to 
get it here. You know, listen to Savannah. Savannah's not going to become Atlanta, Jacksonville, Miami, or even Greenville. Mm-hmm. Great places. Right. But Savannah's always going to be Savannah. But we do have good leadership here. There's, I've seen more collaboration than I think we've seen in the past, say, decades mm-hmm. in growing up, um, which is a good thing. We have facilities that should be joint facilities. I mean, why do we have so many recreational you, know, you have a city and a county recreational place near each other. Let's split the cost and have one really good one. Yeah. Is it just a matter of, of listening to each other? Is it a matter of, of not being so um, protective of, of turf? And as you said, you, you start to see maybe it's starting to swing a little bit. How do we keep it going that way? I think encouraging it as citizens. As citizens. I think as promoting and electing uh public officials who are going to to be in favor of more collaboration i mean it, it you know there's savannah the city there's the unincorporated county there's i live in the unincorporated chatham county but i'm still a savannian right i, I, I work in savannah and I, I spend a lot of my time here yeah what happens in savannah affects us all it affects everyone you know savannah is the the nucleus of chatham county there's no denying that well thank you very much for coming in and, and sharing it was it's been good to to get to know you a little bit and we thank you for all that you do with with all the boards and uh, we look forward to to what's ahead and talking to you again great thank you adam i appreciate the time thanks to quentin marlin for sharing his insights on difference makers and to our presenting sponsor the savannah economic development authority tap into the difference makers archives anytime on your favorite podcast app to hear interviews with more of savannah's community leaders such as the Georgia Ports Authority's Griff Lynch, the Savannah Voice Festival's Maria Zuvis, and Chatham County District Attorney Meg Heap. Difference Makers is a production of the Savannah Morning News and SavannahNow.com. Our next episode will post October the 4th. Thank you for listening.